Welcome to The Definitive Rap, where we report the truth about American exceptionalism. We love our flag, we love our country, and we believe in America. The Definitive Rap, where we respect people of faith, the men and women in blue, and our support for Israel. And now, your host, Bela Sebraff on The Definitive Rap. Hello, and welcome to The Definitive Wrap. I am Bela Seabrow. If you have been following international news, supporters of the East Turkish National Awakening Movement recently rallied outside the White House to urge the U.S. to end trade deals with China and take action to stop the oppression of Uyghur and other Turkic, Turkic people of East Turkestan. I'm talking about forced labor, excessive surveillance, torture, sexual violence, organ harvesting, and executions. We will hear more about this from our distinguished guest, Salih Hudayar, who was elected as the Prime Minister of the East Turkestan government in exile on November 11, 2019. Mr. Salih Hudayar was born to a Uyghur business family in Atush, East Turkestan. He studied international studies and politics at the University of Oklahoma, and was a member of the Army National Guard from 2011 to 2013. He's currently pursuing a master's in national security studies from the American Military University. On June 4, 2000, Salih Hudayar fled to the United States with his family, where they became political refugees. He grew up in Oklahoma, and despite being so young, he began to spread awareness about East Turkestan and the situation there. He moved to Washington, D.C. in summer 2017 and founded the East Turkestan National Awakening Movement, ETNAM, under his leadership. And that's where the East Turkestan National Awakening Movement sparked a national awakening across East Turkestani diaspora and reignited the flame of independence. He spearheaded the call for restoring East Turkestan's independence, along with calling for the passage of a Uyghur East Turkestan Policy Act. He reframed the East Turkestan issue as being an issue of territory and independence and not simply human rights and democracy. He joined the East Turkestan government in exile at the special parliamentary session in Washington, D.C. in April 20, 2019. And he was subsequently appointed as the ambassador to the United States and assistant to the prime minister. Since becoming a member of the East Turkestan government in exile, Salih Hudayar has continued advocating for democracy, political independence, and unity among our people. He has also been active in promoting nonviolent resistance to Chinese occupation among the Uyghur and East Turkestani diaspora. His vision is for an independent East Turkestan that is democratic, pluralistic, and peaceful. He envisions that East Turkestan will one day be a shining example of democracy and human rights in not only Central Asia, but also the entire world. Mr. Hudayar is fluent in Uyghur, Turkish, and English. He is married and currently resides with his wife in Northern Virginia. Mr. Hudayar, and I hope I'm pronouncing your name correctly, with great honor, please, I welcome you to the definitive rap. Thank you for having me. Mr. Hudayar, there are people living in the United States that have no clue about the oppressions that exist in the world. 
And I understand that China is using its social media platforms that are banned inside China to spread propaganda and manipulate the world's public opinion on its repression of Muslims in East Turkestan. Please tell us about what is really going on, specifically about the genocide and crimes against humanity. Yes. Um, firstly, thank you for uh, giving me this opportunity to uh, shed some light on the plight of East Turkestan and its people and the ongoing genocide. Uh, the story or the East Turkestan-Sino conflict uh, essentially dates back to 1949. Uh, in late 1949, following the establishment of the People's Republic of China by the Chinese Communists, they invaded East Turkestan and overthrew the independent East Turkestan Republic, leading to essentially a, a long campaign of colonization and occupation, uh, which continues to this day. Uh, in 2014, uh, under the leadership of Xi Jinping, the Chinese government launched the so-called People's War campaign uh, against Uyghurs, Kazakhs, Kyrgyz, and other Turkic peoples in East Turkestan, uh, where they subsequently sent at least 3 million uh, Uyghurs and other Turkic peoples, according to the US Department of Defense, to uh, concentration camps, or what the Chinese government calls vocational training uh, and re-education camps. Uh, in these camps, the Chinese government uh, began to subject Uyghurs and other Turkic peoples to forced indoctrination, torture, forced sterilization, uh, organ harvesting, rape and sexual abuse, and forced labor. Uh, this, what the Chinese government has been doing uh, has been recognized as genocide by the US government, as well as the parliaments of Canada, uh, the UK, the EU um, parliament, France, and many other uh, uh, European countries. Uh, and this is essentially the worst uh, case of an attack against a specific ethnic or uh, religious group by uh, uh, any power since the Holocaust. Um, and essentially what the Chinese government's end game here uh, in targeting the people of East Turkestan uh, as they made very, as it, it's been made very specific in uh, leaked Chinese government documents and statements is that it's about controlling East Turkestan's territory and preventing the independence of East Turkestan as uh, dictated under China's national defense strategy. Uh, the Chinese government essentially aims to eradicate both, uh, you know, to both physically and uh, culturally the existence of Uyghur and other Turkic peoples in East Turkestan uh, and to replace East Turkestan, the uh, identity and East Turkestani people with uh, Chinese colonists. So all these crimes against humanity should have implications on international law. So what is being done? Absolutely. Uh, everything that China is doing is defined as genocide under the UN Genocide Convention of 1948. Uh, the governments and the parliaments that have recognized it as genocide, including the US government, under the UN Genocide Convention have treaty obligation to 
not only uh, prevent, but also to punish those who perpetrate the crime of genocide. Unfortunately, uh, we have not gotten to any significant uh, amount of preventing or even punishing this crime of genocide. Uh, the US government uh, has issued sanctions. Uh, the UK and other European countries have also issued sanctions against you know, uh, mid-level Chinese officials, but uh, nothing substantive has been done beyond that. And what needs to be done is that the United States and other members uh, like France and the UK who are members of the UN Security Council need to bring this to the agenda of the UN Security Council, uh, to bring the East Turkestan issue to the agenda of the UN Security Council. They need to urge the International Criminal Court and the International Court of Justice to investigate and prosecute Chinese officials and the Chinese state for their role in the ongoing genocide, as well as uh, you know, they need to engage in punitive diplomatic measures uh, which includes, uh, you know, if necessary, cutting diplomatic ties, uh, banning all products that are made uh, with uh, made in China uh, as a result uh, with Uyghur and other Turkish people's uh, forced or slave labor. And they need to, you know, uphold the UN's own declaration on uh, granting uh, independence to colonized nations and peoples. Uh, the fact that East Turkestan is facing this genocide, there's no doubt that what the Chinese government is doing in East Turkestan is colonization in the 21st century. Uh, the name Xinjiang, which the Chinese government refers to East Turkestan, to describe East Turkestan, literally translates in the Chinese language as the colony or the new territory, signifying that this is indeed uh, not a part of China and it is indeed an occupied uh, country. So. There's a lot that needs to be done. Uh, it's just it's up to the uh, conscience uh, of, of these uh, countries, especially those uh, leaders who are heading these countries to act before it's too late. President Biden has not yet called out China for their genocide and slavery, has he? Uh, the Biden administration, uh, they uh, followed through with the uh, Trump administration's recognition of the atrocities as genocide. However, uh, President Biden himself has not uh, specifically called out China on the Uyghur genocide uh, uh, that is happening in East Turkestan. Why do you think that is? Well, uh, there's many uh, speculations regarding this. One, uh, the fact that the U.S. Uh, still has not, the U.S., government still, we believe, does not have a, a, a real strategy uh, or vision on how they want to proceed, uh, uh, move forward in regards to China. Uh, so they are still, you know, uh, trying to appease China in many ways to prevent it from, quote, becoming angry so they can back channel diplomatic talks and, you know, cut a deal. Uh, that's what we, what we think is the issue. And then there's other issues uh, being that the president uh, has the eyes and ears of uh, uh, individuals, uh, uh, elites who uh, have uh, economic and other ties, uh, uh, business ties to China. So it's a money, it's a money reason. Um, I mean, we we think that that might be part of the problem is the fact that there are you know individuals 
in the administration um, or people close to the administration that have a lot of uh, economic dealings with, uh, with China. And secondly, it's also because we believe that the U.S. doesn't have a concrete strategy uh, uh, on how to deal with China. They haven't yet uh, formally recognized China as uh, a, a, a threat to U.S. national security as, you know, uh, as a, an enemy uh, at this point uh, or an adversary. At this point, it's still uh, the narrative is that China is a competitor, when in reality, China is not simply a competitor. Uh, its aim is to replace the United States uh, and, and other you know, nations in the free world as the uh, sole uh, global superpower. And uh, you know, time is running out for both the United States and the free world, but especially for the people of East Turkestan and other people uh, like Tibet, uh, Southern Mongolia, and others who are uh, suffering under the uh, occupation and colonization of China. Is there anybody, and if so, who is working to undo and reverse the false narratives and propaganda? Well, right now, uh, the U.S. government, uh, the State Department's uh, Center for Global Engagement recently uh, published a report highlighting the fact that the Chinese government is manipulating the uh, global public opinion regarding uh, uh, East Turkestan. Uh, however, uh, beyond publishing this report, nothing uh, has been really done. Um, this is a great first step, but there needs to be more actions uh, to combat, uh, to push back against uh, China's uh, uh, malign uh, efforts to uh, manipulate global opinion. And one of the basic things that they can do is to one, you know, put pressure on uh, Western-based uh, social media companies like Twitter, like Facebook, Instagram, and others, uh, the, all of which are banned in China, um, but the Chinese government uses excessively to promote its uh, uh, propaganda and to uh, deny the atrocities. So one is to pressure on them to, you know, prevent the Chinese government from using their platforms. Uh, for uh, disinformation campaigns. Uh, secondly, it's to, you know, U.S. government needs to support uh, entities, uh, East Turkestani entities like uh, the government in exile, the East Turkestan government in exile, and the uh, East Turkestan National Waking Movement uh, to help, you know, uh, push back against China's false narrative, uh, you know, through research, through uh, public awareness, and other, uh, other means. So I, I get that, you know, plat social media platforms such as Twitter um, are banned in China. I, I get that. But what about the people who live in other countries, such as the United States? Why is the truth not out there the way it should be, the way I know about it, the way other people know about it? Why isn't it out there as, as public knowledge? I mean, for heaven's I mean, sake, we're, 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 we're living in different worlds today. This, 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 this is not 100 years ago. Everything yes, is out in the open. I mean, people know what, what it, somebody else is having for breakfast. Yes, I mean, uh, surely over the past few years, there has been more public knowledge about the atrocities, about the ongoing genocide in East Turkestan. But it's still, as you stated earlier, uh, most Americans are still unfamiliar with it. And part of the reason is that uh, many mainstream medias and outlets, um, uh, they're, they're afraid to publish 
the truth because of their business ties with China um, or the fact that the Chinese government will, uh, for example, if let's say CNN was to publish something, you know, about the historical uh, narrative, uh, the historical facts regarding East Turkestan and how it fell under, you know, Chinese occupation, uh, the Chinese government would probably prevent, you know, their journalists uh, from uh, reporting in, in China. So th these are uh, uh, issues. And then you have newspapers and other media outlets that are being, you know, uh, essentially bought in many ways. Uh, the Chinese government is buying their influence, uh, buying ads. Uh, so it's, it's, a, it's, it's all about the money, unfortunately, at the end of the day. And what about those that are not affected by the money, that don't have any business dealings? There's, there's, there's so many journalists out there, freelance well, journalists. And I think uh, as far as them, it's, again, they're not fully aware of what's happening in East Turkestan um, or that uh, they don't see that it's in their interest uh, to, to publish it. Um, you know, there are many other things happening across the world, you know, things come up every day. And so uh, because they're unaware about the whole situation, uh, they decide not to write about it or they ignore it because something else uh, comes up in some other part of the world that they think uh, will gain more traction. And at the end of the day, this also has to do with policymakers. If uh, politicians, if governments raise this issue and they highlighted uh, the situation happening in East Turkestan consecutively, and they made it, uh, you know, uh, a key foreign policy uh, 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 priority to address this issue, uh, you would have, you know, media reporting about it uh, cons uh, consistently, like the way that, you know, they report on uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, or, uh, you know, other situations that are happening in other parts of the world, uh, or the situation that's happening uh, in uh, the tensions between uh, China and uh, in Taiwan. Um, it's all about policymakers as well. Like if, if they're not uh, outspoken about it, then there's not going to be uh, much coverage by or interest by, by the, uh, uh, the media and, and then by the public. Please tell us about China's forced labor camps in East Turkestan. So oh, explain China to our audience what's going on in those camps and how are people sent there? How are they deported to these camps? Or are they fooled? Please give us, run us by the steps that are used to, to imprison those people. So uh, in 2014, uh, the People's Republic of China launched the so-called People's War Campaign uh, against so-called uh, terrorism, extremism, and separatism. Um, in this, the Chinese government, they came up with, you know, uh, I, I believe there is over 48 official reasons uh, for which one was determined disloyal and needed to be sent to these so-called uh, vocational re-education concentration camps. Um, in this, uh, anyone who had contacts with anyone overseas, uh, anyone who believed in a religion uh, or practiced a religion, uh, anyone uh, who, you know, used VPN or had even WhatsApp, uh, or knew someone who had WhatsApp or who had traveled overseas. Uh, these were all the I excuses that the Chinese government used. I mean, as simple as having, uh, you know, facial hair or having, um, you know, refusing to even smoke cigarette or drink alcohol were seen 
uh, signs of extremism or terrorism by the Chinese government. Uh, if you were an individual and you worked out, you were described as a terrorist that had to be sent to these uh, re-education vocational training concentration camps. Uh, the Chinese government itself stated in a 2000, September 2020 uh, white paper that it sent on average 1.29 million people per year uh, since 2014 to uh, 2019 uh, to so-called vocational training and re-education uh, camps where they were, you know, uh, de-radicalized is the term that they used and given jobs and became to become better uh, citizens uh, and to, uh, you know, become loyal to the Chinese state. Uh, that's roughly about, you know, 7.8 million people over the course of six years. And this campaign is still continuing to this day. Uh, people in these camps, you know, they're selected on their level of loyalty. Uh, those that are disloyal are sentenced to, uh, you know, anywhere from five years to life in prison. Some are even executed, while the other ones that they, the Chinese government thinks uh, they can, you know, re-educate or control or manipulate, uh, they send them to work in factories, uh, you know, producing anything from uh, textiles to computer parts to, uh, you know, car parts um, in, inside, East, inside uh, East Turkestan or in Chinese factories inside China, uh, where they're essentially sold in, you know, large batches. You know, we have 50 to 100 uh, uh, orders being sold to Chinese companies as uh, slave labor. Um, and this is something that's continuing even right now as we speak. Uh, however, the US government uh, has uh, uh, implemented the Uyghur Forced Labor Prevention Act, uh, which targets, uh, you know, which bans any goods made with the uh, forced labor or suspected of being made with forced labor uh, in East Turkestan from coming into the United States. But this so how do they know? Because I, I was going to I was about to ask that question. When we purchase merchandise or any kind of product, how do we know here in the United States that it wasn't a result of forced labor? So that's what I'm very, buying. I mean, how do I know? How does anybody know? So that's very difficult to uh, assess, given the fact that uh, majority of the companies uh, in East Turkestan uh, have affiliations or business dealings with the XPCC or the Xinjiang uh, Production and uh, Xinjiang Production and Construction Corps, which is a three and a half million strong paramilitary force specifically uh, sent to East Turkestan to colonize East Turkestan, and they are the enforcers of the uh, the uh, uh, concentration camps and the slave labor that is going on in East Turkestan today. Um, majority of the people that they use, the Uyghurs, uh, there's no doubt they are being, you know, uh, used as slave labor or forced labor. They're not, you know, being used in their own will. They're not working or being employed in their own will. Yeah, they're not employees so, clocking in and out and getting paid at the end of the day or the yeah, end of the week. They're, they're kept in these concentration camp facilities. Uh, they're made to work, you know, 14 to 16 hours a day. Uh, other part of that, they have no contact with their family members. You know, they're in, you know, uh, these facilities that have, you know, high, uh, high walls, uh, razor, you know, wires, uh, barbed wires and uh, watchtowers. 
these aren't you know vocational training facilities right. these are concentration camps uh, uh essentially and they're not you know being paid or even if they are being paid it's far far below what you know the normal chinese worker would make right and how old are these prisoners well according to the leaked documents for example uh earlier a couple months back the uh bbc they released the data uh, of some 200,000 plus Uyghurs uh, who had been uh, police, Chinese police files uh, that had been hacked. Uh, they released, they published them of over 200,000 Uyghurs uh, between the ages of 15 all the way up to their 80s. Um, you know, both the, el- the youngest one was a 15-year-old woman. The oldest one was some 80-something-year-old uh, 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 elderly grandmother you know, who had been taken into these camps and prisons and essentially you know some were used as slave labor some were used as uh, you know s- sent to prison uh, so based on this data and of, of over 2,000 of them uh, 2,800 of them their pictures you know and all their data was you know publicly uh, uh, revealed so from that, we know that, you know, it's, it, it doesn't matter if you're a woman or, or uh, if you're a young woman, a te- as, as young as a teenager or an elderly grandmother, or if you're a young man uh, or an elderly grandfather, you are being sent uh, to these uh, prisons and these camps uh, under bogus charges. For example, uh, you know, having too many children. Some women were sent because they had so-called too many uh, children, you know, having more than two children was their crime. Uh, some uh, went to prison in the case of an elderly woman. She went into prison uh, on the basis that she told her son to not smoke or drink, uh, which was seen as a sign of extremism. Um, others, you know, just because they had learned how to read a religious text, they were deemed as extremists. And that's why, like in the case of the 15-year-old uh, young girl, um, all, all she had was she she had learned how to read uh, religious texts, and that was the reason, the basis on which they uh, imprisoned her. This, this is heartbreaking. Are they are these prisoners given food on a regular basis? So, based on the uh, testimonies of uh, a few uh, survivors who have managed to. Uh, flee East Turkestan and some who are residing here in the U.S., some in uh, Europe, uh, you know, they're given, you know, minimal uh, amounts of food, uh, barely, you know, watered down, you know, uh, soups and some pieces of bread uh, on a daily basis. Uh, They're in very cramped, tight conditions, um, you know, where you can't even stretch uh, uh, and lay lay down to sleep. and constantly, you know, according to their testimonies and their experiences, uh, you know, women are, are being raped by Chinese security forces and they're being constantly injected with uh, unknown medication. You mean medical experiments? Uh, we, we believe that that could be very well the case uh, because some people are, you know, disappeared. Others, their organs are being harvested and we have uh, physical Tell us evidence. about the organ harvesting, please. So the Chinese government since the 80s had been harvesting the organs of initially political prisoners. 
uh, mostly uh, of prisoners who they would execute. And majority of this uh, organ harvesting took place in East Turkestan. Uh, especially post 2014, the organ harvesting market uh, industry has boomed in the fact that the Chinese government is selling the organs of Uyghurs and other Turkic peoples who are predominantly Muslim as so-called halal uh, organs to wealthy um, Muslims from the Middle East, uh, you know, from Saudi Arabia and the Gulf states. Uh, mm -hmm. So to accommodate this, to accommodate the demand and to make the process more rapid, the Chinese government, uh, there are evidence that they have built crematoriums across uh, near some of these concentration camps. And there are special, uh, there's evidence of special you know, lanes uh, at airports near these concentration camps in East Turkestan that state for organ transplants only. Uh, so this, this is indeed happening. We had, you know, testimonies of Chinese uh, nurses and doctors who uh, were uh, working in, in some of these uh, they facilitated. Uh, they facilitated in, in those procedures. Yes. I, I, I imagine they fled the country. They're not living there now. If they're yes. giving testimony, uh, are they? One of the uh, surgeons uh, who, who who was also a Uyghur who um, was involved in this process, uh, he he since fled. Uh, he's been in in the UK for about a decade. He fled uh, years back um, and gave numerous testimony about the uh, organ harvesting. Uh, back then, it was the Chinese government would target mostly political prisoners. Now it's to where it's almost essentially everyone because all Uyghurs are essentially being uh, treated as political prisoners uh, and enemies of the state by the Chinese government. And so when this happens to a prisoner, I, I guess they don't, they don't return the body to the family. They, they cremate them, correct? No, absolutely not. Uh, they don't, not only do they uh, not return the body to the family. Uh, there's evidence that uh, these bodies are being cremated. And uh, there's also, you know, further humiliation uh, upon the family uh, of, of the victim. For example, they will send a bill to the family's next, you know, uh, uh, you know, their closest relatives or next of kin, um, you know, stating that we want you to pay the bill for the cost of the bullet and the execution. I'm speechless. And if the family refuses to pay the bill, they become prisoners too? Yes, unfortunately, that's another, uh, you know, tactic uh, it's to further humiliate and demoralize the family. And uh, if those who refuse to pay the bill, you know, they, they are sent to prison uh, for that excuse. Uh, and aside from what's happening inside the camps, you know, there's a, a similarly dire situation happening uh, outside of the camps. Uh, you have millions of Chinese officials living in the homes of Uyghurs whose husbands uh, ha uh, have been taken to these prisons, whose husbands, sons, or fathers have been taken into these prisons and camps, and you know, sleeping with them even in the in, in, in uh, to quote build uh, you know unity amongst the ethnic groups. Uh, there's widespread of you know cases of, of, of rape by uh, Chinese security forces and Chinese officials. Uh, young Uyghur and other Turkic women are being 
coerced to marry uh, Chinese men in an effort to, you know, uh, breed out our, our population. Uh, and those who, you know, refuse to marry Chinese men, uh, you know, they're threatened with, you know, we're going to send your entire family to the concentration camps and prisons if you don't. Um, so th this is all a very tragic thing that is happening, uh, unforeseen, you know, in, in the timelines of history. Um, right now, under the guise of, you know, uh, COVID lockdowns, the Chinese government has thrown, you know, Uyghurs uh, out of their homes to where they are living in the streets, and uh, people, our people are starving. Uh, and this is part of the Chinese government's efforts to, you know, slowly uh, kill off our people, you know, without the use of having to use bullets and guns and bombs, but using, you know, biological weapons, bringing, you know, inflicting situations conditions on them to where, you know, they will die of starvation, of disease, and so forth. I'm so sorry to hear all this. Mr. Hudayar, thank you for joining us today and bringing thank the you. truth about these atrocities to the forefront. Thank you for having me. Thank you to Vin News for hosting our show. And thank you to our audience for tuning in. God bless you. Thanks for listening to The Definitive Wrap with your host, Bela Seabrow. Be sure to tell your family and friends they also can catch The Definitive Wrap on Apple Music, Spotify, Google Play, and your favorite streaming service. See you next time on The Definitive Wrap.